Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. We have no shortage of topics to discuss here on today's AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to have you along for the ride and here for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for being here again. Today's program brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Coming up here on the program today, we're going to talk weather with John Baranek, DTN meteorologist, coming up in segment two. In segment three today, we'll have a conversation with House Ag Committee Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania, get an update on the unrest in the House of Representatives, where are we at with getting a new Speaker of the House. We'll talk Farm Bill and more with uh, G.T. Thompson coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Then we'll go to the Delta and the Southern Plains to get an update on this year's cotton crop. We'll talk with Greg Ferguson. He's a Bayer technical agronomist in Mississippi. He'll join us at the end of the show today to discuss. Right now, though, we want to talk markets, and we have a lot going on uh, over the weekend around the world that could be having an impact here in the market trade. Joining us now, Bar Chart Senior Market Analyst Darren Newsom. Darren, Great to have you on. I hope you had a a great weekend. And, and like I said, no shortage of things to talk about. Plenty of news headlines that have market impacts. Absolutely, you know, Jesse. It was, it was a great, it was a great fall weekend. And you know, just tinkering around doing the normal fall things. You know, all these headlines start coming out, and so you know, Saturday, Sunday, just building up. You know, you knew once the markets opened on uh, on Sunday night. Given the uncertainty, given you know the chaos that it created, uh, that it was going to be activity, and it, certainly we saw it. Um, you know, it, it led by the crude oil market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the spot month contract gained something like five and a half percent during the overnight session. Not a huge surprise. Um, you know, in times of uncertainty, in, investors don't like uncertainty. Let's start with that. And when it happens, when we see things change, when we th- see th- when we see chaos break out. A lot of times there is a rush to safe haven markets. And, you know, geopolitically, it tends to be gold. We see gold react, and it, and it certainly did. It was up something like $27. But then it depends on where in the world the uncertainty is creating, the, the, the chaos is being created. And when it's in the Middle East, then you see money going back into, uh, into the crude oil markets. And both, the, you know, the U.S. West Texas Intermediate and the global Brent markets just skyrocketed. Uh, and they're still strong here uh, Monday morning, as the world can you know continues to sort out what's going on over in uh, over in Israel. Yeah, the attacks by Hamas and Hezbollah on Israel is uh, what we're alluding to and talking mm-hmm. about here in this market trade. And uh, to your point, a lot of money flow to safe havens in the markets. And mm-hmm. I noticed as well that Monday wheat holding up there too. And I think with wheat, with such a global picture, Egypt is right there. Of course, there's a lot of you know grain flow of wheat uh, to Middle Eastern countries. So maybe that's um, another small caveat to your your broader points of finding some of that safe haven type of uh, money flow here uh, in times of uncertainty. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that we did see, you know, wheat and corn, soybeans even uh, rally overnight. Soybeans, to me, it's just it's normal activity uh, where most likely Eastern Hemisphere buyers were, were in early in the overnight session because it faded by the time we got to uh, through Monday morning. But wheat is an interesting example. As I posted, as I talked about in my morning commentary today, I've been doing this for decades. And I can count on one time. I can count on one hand uh, how many times this sort of thing. Uh, you know, the, one of the world's largest buyers, Egypt, has been interested in the United States wheat. And I don't need all my fingers to do it. It just isn't a reality to think Egypt's going to buy. Now, will it reshuffle the global deck, much as Russia's invasion of Ukraine was supposed to shuffle the global deck on wheat? What happened to the U.S. supply and demand situation? It got more bearish. We weren't we. We still weren't selling or shipping anything. We, it got so bearish that the CME instituted or, or enacted its uh, variable storage rate policy, where we it, where it increased the maximum amount of, of storage, its, its maximum storage rate. That's a bearish situation, and it hasn't changed. We still have bearish fundamentals for the, for the Chicago software winter market. That hasn't changed. We haven't seen new business globally from Russia, Ukraine. I don't think we're going to see it. 
What we do see, though, with both corn and, and, and wheat rallying overnight, fund, excuse me, funds have been short both markets. They're, they're holding a net short futures position. So when again, in times of uncertainty, not only do they look for safe haven markets, they look to cover some of those positions they already have open, you know, mm -hmm. fear of risk and all this. So you cover some wheat, you cover some corn, allows both markets to rally. Nothing's changed fundamentally. It's just a non-commercial fund play. I feel like with the case of the corn market as well, just when I look at charts and, and look at where this market's sitting, kind of descoring, kind of bumping back up against that $5 mark again. What What's your take on that and some of that, I guess, maybe overhead resistance there at that psychological level of $5? Yeah, $5 is a big round number. Corn likes round numbers and five is a big round number. <laughs> so, you know, what we're seeing in corn, again, is kind of a seasonal play. Uh, you get your you get your initial harvest, you know, swing done, where there is some selling of cash bushels, but U.S. producers like to store corn, and so once you get that initial flush of of cash bushels coming in, contracted and so on, then everything starts getting tucked away. And what we saw at the end of last week was basis started to stabilize and firm ever so slightly. Still not strong. It's still just average basis, uh, but it did start to stabilize. And so this is telling us merchandisers weren't seeing the same amount of cash sales. Future spreads remain neutral. So you get a little bit of buying coming in now from the non-commercial side. It starts to spark a rally in the market. If we pop through five, if we can get through five with last week's high of 499, all of a sudden the five, you know, 510 becomes the next target. So you just mm -hmm. start moving up by increments of 10. Certainly possible in here for no other reason than, you know, no one's selling cash at this point and funds look to do a little bit of covering. Darren, livestock trade, uh, before we run out of time today, any notes there for you when you look at cattle and hogs to start off the week? I think it's going to be another tentative week in both of them. Uh, they're both, you know, they both seem a little bit bearish. They're both going to be keeping a close eye on U.S. stock indexes. But that being said, they've both spent three weeks down, uh, in, particularly in the cattle market. They've closed lower three weeks in a row. Let's see if that doesn't bring some buying back in, if the cash market can start to, you know, can start to pull this market higher again. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what the what the cash market might look like because, Darren, you know, we, we've seen these prices out in feedlot country and the sale barn, especially on the cattle side, have remained high. Yeah. Uh, but, are, you know, are we, are we finding a top potentially? I, I know some people are saying that in the trade right now. You know, it could be a top. This market's needed to top for months now, but a market can't go down, won't go down, and that cash market is very resilient. Packers have been providing some support for whatever reason. We'll see how long it lasts. Yeah, we will see how long it lasts. Darren, uh, real quick, got about 30 seconds. Any other final notes for us in the market trade this week? You know, it, it's, it's going to be an interesting week. And, of course, we've got USDA coming out on Thursday. And, and you know, the thing to remember about October's uh, reports is there's nothing new in here. It's, it's all rehashed stuff. But there, if there's a month when USDA goes in and changes planted acres from this past spring, it's the October report for whatever reason. It proves to be the October report. So just something fun to keep an eye on next this coming Thursday. Yeah, a lot to uh, keep in front of us here, and we'll stay close with it. We appreciate the time. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. Have a great week. All right. Thank you, Jesse. And coming up next, we're going to take a look at weather across the country. Uh, getting pretty chilly for many folks over the weekend. John Baranek, DTN Meteorologist, will join us next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. On the October episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we continued our discussion about sustainable aviation fuel. Sarah McKay from National Corn Growers Association talks about some of the work they are doing on the policy side. We work really closely with policymakers to make sure that tax credits that are available are available to help promote corn ethanol to be used for these processes, and in particular, the adoption of the GREAT model as the carbon accounting method to help bring these technologies and, and bring these opportunities closer to the marketplace. Lindsay Bowers with NCGA's Market Development Action Team provides some of the farmer and grain merchandiser perspective to SAF and corn. From farmer and merchandiser point of view, market development is huge and significantly impactful for what it can mean for agriculture. Getting it to the point where it's consistently and reliably used, it's a game changer. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. It's a show you don't want to miss. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. 
Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home? And you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Agriculture of America AOA here today. Brought to you by SEDEX Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I, I got to give a quick shout out as well uh, right now to Tanner Beamer with the uh, National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I had to laugh this weekend. I checked my mailbox and we had him on the show back on September 27th ahead of the what looked to be inevitable government shutdown. And he made the comment that if the government didn't shut down, He'd buy me a new pickup. Well, I had a, a toy pickup in my mailbox here over the weekend. So uh, thanks to Tanner for um, keeping his word on that promise to get me a, uh, a new pickup. We're going to talk more uh, government-related shutdown type stuff, farm bill, what's going on in the House, coming up here just a little bit with uh, House Ag Chair Glenn G.T. Thompson. But right now we want to talk weather. Pretty chilly over the weekend across a wide portion of of the U.S. here to give us the details and update us on the forecast for the week ahead. John Baranek, DTN meteorologist, is with us. John, good to talk with you. And um, we, we joked while we were on break, uh, I busted out my flannels uh, here over the weekend. It was uh, it was pretty cold across a wide portion of the country. Yeah, you're going to have to put the, the heater on your new pickup truck. I don't know how well that heater works. I'll have to try it out. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had some widespread frost uh, and freezes uh, across the western half of the Corn Belt on Saturday. It was actually really widespread. We saw it from the Canadian border all the way down through western Kansas. Uh, had some, some frosty temperatures, a little frost on the pumpkin. Uh, since then, it... Sunday morning, uh, this morning, we had some more isolated areas of some light frost. It hasn't been that bad. We've got a couple more um, days of that uh, coming up here, uh, just with some, just a bowling ball of cold air that's that's settled up over kind of uh, east central Canada. And we, we, there's plenty of showers and even some snow um, up there in Canada. Thank goodness it's north of the border right now. But it's, it's settled the cool air uh, around the Great Lakes. And so We'll, we'll see some isolated frost here over the next uh, couple of mornings at least. So, um, you know, it's it's fall, though. I mean, it's October. A little frost on the pumpkin is uh, something we would normally expect, I would think. Yeah, I would think. And, you know, considering how warm it was at the end of September, uh, finally getting to some of that fall chill, it, it, not a bad thing. It, it, it is that time of year. And I know as far as some of those frosts and freezes, maybe not too much of an impact on crops because of how uh, early harvest has been for many folks. I'd say if any, maybe, maybe the Northern Plains, so a little bit of an impact, John. 
Yeah, I think that's probably where it would be. I mean, I know there's a lot of folks there in North Dakota that were a little late because of uh, some wetness there in the spring and some cooler temperatures that lingered on for, for quite some time. So uh, I think that's, and that's where we saw uh, some, some deeper frost and freezes on Saturday as well. So I think out of anybody else, probably the, the, the biggest area that kind of saw some impact from it. Um, but you're right. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of folks were pretty far along unless some folks were uh, stuck doing some replanting because of some severe weather or something else that happened, um, you know, kind of, later spring uh i don't think there's a, a huge impact with this frost it's it's pretty much coming as expected normally on time for the most part so this is kind of the time of year we start to see it well john let's talk about this week ahead and it's sounding like there's a potential for some uh, pretty heavy rainfall across parts of the country but even uh that uh, that dirty s word snow could impact some folks here as we get to mid to late week so what's the details on that yeah, I mentioned we got some snow up there in Canada, but uh, we've got another system moving through. You're right, Jesse. Uh, it looks like it's going to move into the plains here on Wednesday and then kind of truck across the Corn Belt for the end of the week and into the weekend. It um, Models are not exactly sure on the storm track uh, with, with this system quite yet. Uh, they've got a little bit of difference, and, and that difference is significant on where this kind of moderate or heavy rain may fall. Um, if you believe kind of the European side, it's uh, kind of from Wyoming through South Dakota, southern Minnesota, and then into the Great Lakes. Uh, if you believe our American model, our American GFS, it's more Nebraska through Iowa and into the southern uh, portions of the Great Lakes. Um, but, you know, it's, it's some pretty decent rainfall out of it. Uh, widespread areas likely over an inch um with this so we're going to be talking about uh harvest delays with this going into next week and yes we're wrapping up enough cold air into it to give some snow uh potential we could see accumulating snow there in um not just the higher elevations but also kind of valley floors and into the plains here from wyoming into western nebraska southwest south dakota uh that would be kind of thursday into early friday uh would be the potential for that um, how much that actually accumulates and where is uh, kind of up in the air. You're going to have to pay attention mm -hmm. to your local forecast for that. And we could see that kind of change in a bit uh, as we kind of near the event. But, you know, there, there may be some areas of uh, some accumulating snow here uh, for kind of mid-October. Again, not out of the ordinary for some of these areas, but, you know, it's just kind of a reminder we're, we're headed that direction, uh, you know, the, 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 the more time goes on. Well, we are talking with John Baranek, meteorologist with DTN here today. And John, I know uh, some folks are concerned about the water levels on the Mississippi River, rightfully so, as uh, a lot of reports that things are, are pretty low as we uh, head into the fall season, moving fertilizer upriver, moving grain downriver, et cetera. Uh, any of this uh, precipitation could it impact the Mississippi River and try to bring some of those levels up, or are we still a long ways to go in that respect, John? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we, if, if you look at the drought monitor map, it's still plenty of color all the way up uh, for most of the country here between the Rockies and Appalachians. It's just, just littered with, with colors. It looks like a uh, fall colors map uh, right now, actually. Lots of oranges and reds everywhere. Um, so... I mean, we've had some decent rainfalls over the last couple of weeks to kind of help moisten some soils up a little bit. Um, they haven't really impacted the river levels uh, because of how dry it had been. But, you know, with this event coming through, I think it'll do something, especially for the Missouri River Valley uh, and the upper Mississippi Valley. Now, you know, when you talk about how the low water levels on the lower Mississippi Valley are going, uh, most of that is actually fed from the Ohio River. That's that's more than half of the, the water that moves into that part of the river. So we need that to really get a bunch of rain. And, you know, with either storm track we're, we're seeing out of this, it's more kind of Great Lakes. So draining into the Great Lakes is a, instead of draining into the Ohio River. Um, so, uh, you know, we're going to get some help there from, from the Missouri, from the upper Mississippi, but we really need to get some better rainfall there in the Ohio Valley. Uh, to really boost levels on the Mississippi River. So, um, you know, this, this system's going to be good for, you know, elim not eliminating, but reducing some of the drought, um, you know, helping out some of the local rivers there. But as far as, you know, getting traffic up, up and down the, uh, the lower Mississippi Valley, 
Uh, probably not so much, at least mm -hmm. stopping it from getting worse. Um, you know, I don't see it getting any much worse, but you know, we're near record levels, uh, sure. record lows anyway. So it's, um, it's hard to get much worse. Uh, but you know, yeah, we, we, we just need more, just need more. Well, we'll see what happens there. John, let's turn our attention to South America and uh, give us the latest update. How are things looking? Brazil, Argentina sounded like maybe some more rain in Southern Brazil over the weekend, but not as bad as some folks were expecting. What, what's the latest you're seeing down there? Yeah, we were expecting, uh, well, this front to come through with some heavy rain and it did, but it did for kind of some more limited areas. Um, some of the ones that are not as heavily farmed and, and closer to the coast and in the mountains, some of the, the areas that we were a little bit more concerned about saw some decent rainfall, like, you know, one, two, maybe three inches of rain, but not the four to six inches of rain that was being forecast. So um, things ended up a little bit better there, but they've been having issues with flooding in Southern Brazil here for, for weeks. Um, and there's another system moving through here in the middle of this week that looks like it has the potential to do the same here with some heavy rain. So we'll be, Continuing to watch that, you know, we've, we've got issues with wheat quality down there. We've got issues with some planting and establishment. And, of course, flooding uh, could be a, a problem. Um, once you get into central Brazil, it's been, you know, their wet season showers. And they've been around, but, you know, they haven't been as potent as they like mm -hmm. to see them there. So it's a little drier than, than they'd like it to be. We still have the showers continuing in the area. So that's a good thing. Um, you know, if they're not getting the, the amounts that they want to see, but the coverage that they want to see, you know, it's honestly not that bad. Um, especially when you can keep the daily showers going, um, here as, as we go deeper into October. So, you know, we may be seeing rainfall amounts be below normal, but honestly, it's not a huge issue just yet. We're still very early in the season. I think the biggest concern right now is in Argentina though. It's been very dry. Mm -hmm. They're coming off of last season's drought. We've talked about this for weeks now. And every time they get a system move through, it's with isolated showers. And it's really not helpful for either their filling wheat uh, or their corn uh, establishment right now. And, you know, they get that other front to move through that's going to light up southern Brazil just, again, with isolated showers in Argentina. So um, mm -hmm. it's just not enough for them. Um, and then they're probably dry through the weekend and we'll see about maybe some more rainfall next week. So it continues to be uh, a bigger concern in Argentina than I think anywhere else um even the flooding that's been happening in southern brazil is you know not not great but you know it loads up their soil profile with plenty of rainfall for or yeah. plenty of moisture for their early crop development so uh, argentina is the biggest concern well plenty of things to keep our eyes on we appreciate the time dtm meteorologist john baranek thanks for joining us on aoa have a great week thanks you too coming up next here on aoa brought to you by cenex premium diesel fueled by innovation power to perform We'll talk with House Ag Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson on the way right after this. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains are mixed right now with wheat up. Kansas City leading the way there. Minneapolis not too far behind. Corn and soybeans are right around unchanged this morning. Livestock is mostly lower. Hogs leading the way there. And crude oil prices are over $3 higher currently. That's after Hamas caught Israel off guard on Saturday, rapidly infiltrating Israeli settlements in the Gaza Strip, killing hundreds while taking dozens more hostage. Now, it was the deadliest attack on Israel since Egypt and Syria mounted a coordinated attack 50 years ago, and it resulted in Israel declaring war for the first time in 50 years, with hundreds now killed on the other side as well. Traders are concerned due to the location of this conflict in the Middle 
East, it is a very oil risk region. And this war essentially puts implementation of the Abram Accord on hold, with Saudi Arabia now assessing alliances. Israel is focused on funding ties between Hamas and Iran, and so it may extend some of its retaliation toward Iran. Now that raises risks that we could see oil flow from the region adversely impacted. We're not quite at that point yet, but traders are adding a risk premium to crude oil prices today on that possibility. Energy traders will be watching how this war evolves in the days ahead. Now, China's fall harvest is 48% complete, according to official data, and the results so far suggest a bumper corn crop. Some local analysts are projecting a crop 10 to 15 million metric tons larger than previously thought, and possibly 8 million metric tons larger than the previous year's crop. That's reducing the need for any imports. Meanwhile, today's forecast models are less encouraging for rains in Brazil's center-west region. Longer term, the rising geopolitical risks don't necessarily give traders reason to push grain and oilseed prices sharply higher at this point, but they can make fund managers less comfortable holding large short positions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today. Agriculture of America brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Find your nearest Cenex location online at cenex.com. All right, don't want to waste any time. Let's get to our next conversation. Joining us now, the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Glenn G.T. Thompson, is with us. And uh, Chairman Thompson, great to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well. Well, Jesse, great to, great to be with you. Appreciate the opportunity to catch up. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some things and catch up on uh, a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things going on in Washington D.C. No doubt. Um, I think the uh, the big uh, gorilla in the room, so to speak, is what's going on in the House uh, with the removal of the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and how that could impact appropriations bills and a farm bill and more. Can you just start and, and kind of get us up to speed and speak to um, everything that's gone on this uh, past week? Uh, the best way that I could describe it was uh, disruptive, uh, absolutely disruptive and un- unnecessary. Uh you know, uh, uh, under Kevin McCarthy's leadership, we have uh, cut $2 trillion out of future spending. We passed the strongest security border bill that you would ever want, uh, reformed, brought reforms to, to welfare and to permitting uh, reform. And, uh, and, uh, and unfortunately, uh, you know, the, uh, the Speaker McCarthy made history. Uh, you know, he is the, uh, uh, first of all, the, you know the the first the first speaker to be vacated uh, mm-hmm. in the chair, and um, and the third shortest uh, service as speaker. But I would say go down in history is one of the most productive uh, in terms of what we've been able to advance. So we are speakerless at this point, which uh, means that we are pretty well paralyzed. We cannot do anything on the House floor until we have a speaker of the House. Uh, we do have a number of individuals who have stepped forward and uh, made announcements that they are going to seek the speakership. We are back in Washington on Monday, and we will have candidate forums. I've heard from three of the three of the the individuals that have indicated they're running. Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, uh, Ken Hearn. Um, I, 
uh, so Jesse, what, what I'm looking for in a speaker uh, is, in, is a f just a few things, but the, the primary thing is where are they in terms of supporting America's number one industry, which is agriculture? And where are they? What is their history in terms of supporting farm bills? And that'll, that'll be the filter by which I, you know, I determine who I will be supporting. And what will probably occur, I think, on Tuesday at this point, uh, where we where the conference will get together and see what which candidate, if any, uh, we can get 219 votes because that's or 218 votes. That's what we would need uh, to um, you know to secure the speakership uh, on in the, on the full house election. Mm -hmm. How does this turmoil? Uh, to your points, uh, you kind of mentioned this a little bit. How does this affect the appropriations process and, and getting a farm bill done? Obviously, we're past the uh, original deadline, and there's been a lot of talk the last few weeks about getting something done by the end of the year. Is is that in question now at this point when it comes to a farm bill? So it certainly makes it what has been a, a, a difficult situation more complex. You know, these eight individuals who are really self-promoters, uh, they formed a, a, a strong coalition with every Democrat in the House uh, to uh, to do what they did. Uh, they they have really made things more challenging. I mean, we uh, this week and, and you know instead of dealing with what we're dealing with, we we were going to complete two additional appropriation bills, and next week uh, we were scheduled to deal to complete two more appropriation bills. We were well on our way, uh, you know, in regular order to to do what we were supposed to do. And, and, uh, and unfortunately all of that was blown up, uh, by these individuals. So it does make it more challenging. Uh, you know, the, the funding bills, uh, are, uh, unfortunately now delayed until we, we, we get a new speaker of the house. Hopefully that will be next week. Um, and, uh, but again, we've lost two weeks of progress and, and any delay impacts all legislation, the ability to get anything done. And that includes, uh, the Farm Bill, which is a significant piece of legislation, as you know, incredibly mm -hmm. important, uh, again, to, uh, you know, to the to the to rural America and, quite frankly, that number one industry in the nation of agriculture. Well, and I know that a lot of folks, farmers and ranchers, they're, they're watching and they they see the work that you and, and your committee has done and they see the work on the Senate side and then they see a lot of this just get blown up with everything that's going on and you know, I think there's some folks uh, in rural America, um, Chairman Thompson, that are are wondering if if we can govern effectively in this environment overall. Well, I I think there were mistakes in terms of the rules package to allow uh, one individual, and this is a person from Florida with a personal vendetta against Kevin McCarthy, uh, had uh, uh, everything that he said uh, the complaints they voice were just absolutely not true and uh, and the rules that would allow one person like that to lead this vendetta and then quite frankly to have seven others join in because uh, they also are the mindset of of not being legislators of, of, of looking for clicks and likes and and online fundraising you know uh Certain rules serve a great purpose, and and quite frankly, we we need to go back and uh, and I think that'll be one of the things that we do is, is take a look at the rules so that we don't have this kind of uh, uh, this kind of action in the future. Do you think a a, a one year extension uh, could you know, obviously probably needs to be passed here at this point? But do you think do you foresee a one year extension being something for the farm bill at this point that gives uh, farmers and ranchers at least some certainty heading into the end of the year? Well, should should we not accomplish what I believe that we still can, which is really to get this done by the end of the year? We are, I mean, the agricultural committee, our members, our our staff are are, are still working at this every day. We're waiting on uh, a few more uh, reports back from the Congressional Budget Office on different proposals that we put forward, specifically under under Title One and and, and some other areas. Uh, we we and, and CBO is is not impaired or impeded by this, so they're doing their jobs. Uh, thankfully, we didn't shut down the government, so we are getting technical assistance from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. So we are all, the, the farm team, as I like to call all of us, are on the job, and we're working with due diligence. And so I'm not giving up on on what uh, the proper thing would be to do, which would be to, you know, to get a reauthorization in before the uh, 
you know, before January 1st, 2024. That said, you know, if we, um, if, as we approach, and there's lots of time to get our work done, uh, and quite frankly, much of the work is already completed. Um, you know, we uh, obviously an extension of some type is, it is a legislative tool that we could utilize, but I, I think we're much better off. The industry is much better off. The nation's much better off if we just get our work done before the end of the calendar year. We are having a conversation with House Ag Committee Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson for Pennsylvania here today on AOA. Chairman Thompson, I know as well, you uh, just a few weeks ago helped introduce some legislation uh, promoting rural telehealth services, and that's something else I think is very important to uh, folks who are listening into this program. Can you talk about that legislation a little bit for us? No, I'd be happy to. You know, I got involved in telehealth after a phone call from a constituent. Um, and this was actually a soldier, a constituent of mine, who called to tell me about when his uh, unit, the 3rd Infantry Division, had returned from overseas. Uh, this was probably more than a decade ago. How many of his uh, comrades had committed suicide? And um, and as I go, and that's a tough call to take from a constituent, but especially when that constituent's your son. And that was my situation. So I worked with the Army, and we. Uh, this was my first foray, foray into, uh, um, quite frankly, in, into telemedicine and telehealth. And we, I've done some great things. Uh, the 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 step or the step act uh, which served our active duty military reserve and guard under under President Obama. Uh, the Vets Act, which expanded it to every veteran through the Veterans Administration, expanding telehealth under President Trump. And what I recently introduced was the Helping Ensure Access to Local Telehealth, or the Health Act. And this is legislation that secures Medicare reimbursement for telehealth services provided by community health centers and rural health clinics. Um, it, 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 it also will continue uh, some flexibility that we achieved during COVID, you know, to allow providers to utilize audio-only telehealth visits for patients who really don't have access to the to broadband services. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really important. And so it really builds on um, basically some waivers and, and active provisions in the COVID-19 relief package. Um, and, and I can tell you as someone who practiced rural health care for, uh, well, uh, nearly 30 years before uh, coming to Congress, you know, serving rural populations, I'm, I'm amazed at how telehealth makes life simpler for rural and underserved communities, in particular older residents. You know, and the beauty of telehealth is it's not just the access. It can help us recruit the best and the brightest. These physicians the finest in, the in their fields uh, that would be accessed through telehealth, they could actually be practicing in rural America mm -hmm. with this. They could make their homes in our rural communities and reach patients not just in rural America, but certainly in urban America. So it's, it really levels the playing field for recruiting uh, healthcare professionals uh, for, for our rural community. So there's just a lot of really good things. The Health Act cuts red tape, permanently allows community health centers and rural health clinics to provide telehealth services you know, to their patients. We always appreciate a conversation with you, House Ag Committee Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson. Chairman Thompson, thanks for joining me on AOA today. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Jesse, thanks so much. Always an honor to talk with you. And once again, House Ag Committee Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania. And we do uh, thank the uh, chairman of the House Ag Committee for joining us here on the program today. There is a lot going on in Washington, D.C., of course. We want you to see if uh, there is a vote on a Speaker of the House here this week and if we can get some movement on appropriations bills and the Farm Bill and much more. All right, coming up next, we're going to continue our harvest tour around the country. We're going to get an update on how the cotton crop is looking in the Delta and in the South. Bayer Technical Agronomist Greg Ferguson. He's in Mississippi. He joins us next here on AOA. Brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Back with more right after this. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. On the October episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we continued our discussion about sustainable aviation fuel. Sarah McKay from National Corn Growers Association talks about some of the work they are doing on the policy side. We work really closely with policymakers to make sure that tax credits that are available are available to help promote corn ethanol to be used for these processes, and in particular, the adoption of the GREAT model as the carbon accounting method to help bring these technologies and, and bring these opportunities closer to the marketplace. Lindsay Bowers with NCGA's Market Development Action Team provides some of the farmer and grain merchandiser perspective to SAF and corn. From farmer and merchandiser point of view, market development is huge and significantly impactful for what it can mean for agriculture. Getting it to the point where it's consistently and reliably used, it's a game changer. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. It's a show you don't want to miss. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the King of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Thanks to 
House Ag Chairman uh, Glenn G.T. Thompson for joining us here on the show today, as well as uh, John Baranek with DTN, a look at weather, Darren Newsom from Bar Chart with a market update earlier in the show as well. Right now, I want to continue our harvest tour that we're taking across the country. Late last week, I had a uh, conversation with Greg Ferguson. He is a technical agronomist with Bayer in Mississippi. We talked about this year's cotton crop and how things are looking across the Delta and the Southern Plains. Let's listen to that interview right now here on AOA. Here is my conversation with Greg Ferguson in Mississippi talking about this year's cotton crop. Greg, thanks so much for the time here on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. Doing good, Jesse. It's good to hear from you. Thanks for the time, Greg. Let's uh, let's catch up about how this uh, cotton crop is looking across uh, your region here this year, and, and maybe you can uh, give us some thoughts uh, what you're hearing, you know, nationwide as well, but mainly in your area. How's this growing season been, and how is uh, harvest shaping up right now? Well, it certainly has been uh, interesting. I, I think the old Chinese curse is, "May you live in interesting times." Uh, we've had. I think the the latest hard freeze that we ever had uh, this year, and uh, we have had the most severe droughts since 1980 in parts of the area, but other parts were doing quite well. Uh, the lower delta has been through a pretty significant drought and really haven't had any significant widespread rainfall since July the 14th. Mm. Uh, that was the last rain that had any significant effect. Uh, that part of the crop has, has, has been suffering. I mean, as most people would expect in the farther south you go, uh, the worse it seems to get in the Delta, and, and especially as you get out of the Delta into the, the southern part of the state, it, it, it can get pretty tough. However, uh, once you, you kind of move north in the Delta up toward the central mid-south, uh, the crop looks really good, and, and some has come out, and it has been uh, actually pretty good. And we expect better, uh, better yields to, to come forward here in the next few days to a couple of weeks. I was going to say, getting some of that harvest activity going and, and figuring out what those yields are going to look like, I think that's going to be the, the biggest key just with some of that variability that you mentioned uh, here at, across the region. So really getting the uh, getting the combines rolling, seeing what ends up uh, in the bin, that's going to be the biggest thing, right? Yes, yes. We've had a good corn crop and good soybean crop pretty pretty well across the board. But uh, like I say, a cotton's kind of a mixed, mixed bag. Um some things have been doing pretty well. We we really had it got so hot and so dry. We've had uh, this the southern end of the delta and, and south of there has been affected pretty significantly by the heat and the drought both, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it has affected the yields uh, as we move up. Like I said, we've we've had uh, several fields picked that were fourteen to fifteen hundred pounds, and and we really don't think that that's by far the best cotton on the farms uh, as we. Move into the, the upper Mid-South, it sounds like the crop is considerably better. So uh, that's really good to hear. I think we had enough heat units this year that where we had rain, we've got a very good crop. Uh, but as we all know, if it doesn't rain much, you, you don't get much out of it. That's very true, Greg. Very, very true. Uh, has there been any other issues that have affected the uh, cotton crop this year outside of just some of the heat and drought issues? Well, just the normal insects that we get, you know, uh, across the across the Delta and really across the southern states are thrips and plant bugs and, and uh, worms. And, uh, we really saw some some exceptional control of, of thrips this year with our new Thrive on cottons, and, and we've had some of those come out. We're really excited about, uh, about those yields. Uh, they look really good. They seem to have a, a really nice top crop in them uh, more than, than what we're used to seeing in some places. Uh, and, and we got good plant bug uh, control results out of those as well, places, uh, especially in the Delta where we're really in high spray environments for, for tarnished plant bugs. We're running about two sprays less than, than what we do in, in non-thrive on cotton. And, and, and other places where we aren't spraying quite as many times, we're really cutting back on those number of sprays pretty significantly. Uh, some of the yields that we've gotten early on there look really good. We've got some 1,400, 1,500-pound cotton. Out of a couple of our new varieties, uh, especially our Delta Pine 2317, uh, has has really looked pretty good here so far. Uh, another one, our Delta Pine 2328 uh, Thrive On, has looked as well. Uh, those two right now have, have probably been the, the most of what we've seen harvested of our Thrive On cotton. 
Uh, and they look pretty good right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was wondering as well here, you know, obviously we got harvest rolling, uh, rolling here. And then a lot of growers going to have to think about what they're going to be uh, doing for next year. That's going to be the next big key, isn't it? Is, is figured out the different varieties that they want to grow, et cetera, for next year. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, harvest results are a big part of that. Definitely. Definitely. They are. And we appreciate uh, the time here today. Anything else final you'd want to add uh, for us, Craig, before we run out of time? Yeah. We've, we've got a, a several new varieties that we're looking at pretty hard this year. Uh, one of the new ones and uh, a new one that we're really excited about is our Delphine 2333. Uh, we've seen some of it come out and, and, and it's got exceptional yields and the two I mentioned before our Delta Pine 2317 Thrive on and our Delta Pine 2328 Thrive on are really, really strong. Um, and, and also uh, one that we've had for a few years that's just really, really good has been our Delta Pine 2127. Uh, that one is putting up some really nice numbers in some places. And, and, and we're really, really glad to see some of these yields coming out, especially where we got some rain and we're making pretty good cotton. Fantastic. Well, with that, Bayer Technical Agronomist working with Delta Pine, Greg Ferguson in Mississippi. Thanks for joining us here on AOA today, Greg. And tell us more about how that cotton crop is shaping up. We do appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And once again, that's a conversation I had late last week with Bayer Technical Agronomist Greg Ferguson in Mississippi talking about the cotton crop and how things are looking across uh, the Delta, mainly his region down there, and uh, a little bit about what things are looking like in the Southern Plains. We're going to have more harvest updates uh, coming up here uh, throughout this week on the program. I know we're going to talk with uh, an agronomist in Illinois and get an update on Illinois' fall harvest. And that's going to be coming up on tomorrow's program as well. And uh, we'll have a few more updates as well from around the country here as we go through this week and into next week as well here on AOA. Coming up on tomorrow's program, also we're going to have a conversation with Tim Lust, the CEO of the National Sorghum Producers, and we'll talk a little more cotton with Robbie Minnick from the National Cotton Council, some of the things they are looking for in the farm bill and much more. Uh, so we definitely have plenty to get to on tomorrow's AOA. Brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Find your nearest Cenex location online at Cenex.com. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Have a great rest of your day. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.